Blog Talk Radio. And we're on. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, I believe that we have Michael with us. I saw him come in. And, yes, you uh, do. Oh, can let you, us can introduce you. you. Thank let you. us introduce you. Um, our guest, author Michael Eastwood, has been stepping to a new drummer from an early age. His Crystal Oversoul Attunements book describes the magic of each crystal, where it comes from, and how to use it, and how it nourishes our body. This information was relayed to Michael by the crystals. And there are also 44 healing cards that go along with a book, the book called Crystal Oversoul Attunements. They're so energizing to hold. Uh, I've been using them daily. So you are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz Paula. When I was touching the cards, I was literally being lit up with chi all over my body. They were really speaking to me. And I, I mean, I pulled them out of the box and I went, whoa. Now, Michael's most recent 2013 book, Unfolding Our Light, offers a structured hands-on approach to personal, group, and collective initiations, supported by an entirely new way of working with crystal consciousness. He's an international speaker who has taught in England, Sweden, the U.S., Germany, Luxembourg, and France. Well, Michael is also the director of Aristia, a company he's created in uh, 1989 after listening to a series of intuitive visions he has had, informing him that an important cycle of humanity was about to begin. Aristica is a crystal supplier and healing center in Hampshire. Michael has been teaching in the healing arts for about 25 years and today teaches a two-year and postgraduate diplomas in crystal healing that takes students to the level of qualified practitioners. Well, Michael, it sounds like your journey has really been one journey. <laughs> well, when, when you relay it like that, it's, when, whenever these things are said, I, I sit there and listen and think, Who, are they talking about me? <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I've been on a journey indeed. <laughs> well, I I picked a card for today for our show, and mm-hmm. I uh, when I picked it, it was card number 16. So... Kind of, uh, Can you remind me of the name? <laughs> Let me go look. I'll remind you. <laughs> it's about the heart, and the, um, oh, I can go back to it, but I didn't have it right in front of me. Is it? A but as course? the show goes on, I'll find it. <laughs> so I, see, I, when I wrote them, I remember them by name rather than by the numbers. I can uh, I can relate to that. Uh, the <laughs> the guest that we had just before you. Was talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does his artwork through light, and uh, I thought that was amazing because crystals are light. Mm. Mm, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so when did when did you start your journey on working with crystals? Uh, oh, it was um, a series of happy accidents. Really, I, I never. Often people think that I grew up and was fascinated by crystals from an early age, and I wasn't. Um, I didn't really stumble upon them um, until 
around about, I was about 20, maybe 21. And uh, at the time, I was strongly involved in, at that time, what was quite emerging uh, green politics, uh, like Greenpeace and the Green Party. And I was strongly involved in sort of green activism at that age. And yet it didn't really fulfill, there was, it was, it was important, but it wasn't fulfilling all of me. And around about that time, I started also to be very drawn to meditation and different forms of uh, spirituality and reading different books and literature and going to different courses, you know, the usual thing, really. And a friend of mine one day who was leaving England, who I'd gone to quite a few of these courses with, he was leaving England and moved back to Canada. And as a parting gift, he gave me this very beautiful smoky quartz, which I still have. And that was it. There was just something about it. And uh, without me being conscious of it, that was, look, in hindsight, that was the beginning of my journey with crystals. So it wasn't something I set out to do. Um, but they, they seemed to sort of come and find me, really. Now, you started this, though, didn't you, didn't you uh, from an early age, you actually had some, some uh, spirit beings show up and yeah. say that this yeah. was going to be your journey. Tell us about that. Well, when I was a child, I was very aware, very conscious of two beings um, standing either side of my bed. And that was especially um, strong at night. I didn't, as a child, I didn't take much attention of, um, of them during the day. Um, but it was often when I was in bed, and I was very aware, and it seemed absolutely normal to me that they would be there. I, ne I never questioned. And I also had an innate sense not to tell anyone about them. And... In my mind's eye, they would take me on different journeys, and there was a very strong sensation that um, they had this very sort of guardian energy, and would, I mean, I didn't know the word telepathy when I was a child, but they would telepathically communicate to me um, that I was uh, here on purpose, and at, the, at a later stage in my life, they would become more... Uh, I would understand them more. And, uh, I, you know, I just presumed everyone had them and um, everyone, you know, had the same experience, really. But as I grew up, it, of course, dawned on me that um, I was quite unusual in that sense. And at the same time, I could also see the energy emanation around people, around objects, um, and in my room, and especially at night, there are often different sort of visitations of different light beings coming backwards and forwards. But nothing, nothing untoward, nothing, um, nothing frightening. It was all perfectly normal <laughs> to me as a child. And it was, it's only now as an adult when I reflect on it, I see that it actually was quite unusual. But uh, obviously as a child, I, I took it all in my stride. And um, yeah, but all of that information, it, uh, at a later age, when I was about 20, it all started to make sense and to feed into my, into my work and my life and my reasoning for being here, really. But it, it wasn't all made absolutely clear when I was a child. I, 
you know, I had my childhood and then my teenage years where I sort of turned my back on it, really, and uh, felt that I didn't want to be unusual. I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be like everyone else. So I pretty much sort of turned away from it. But Did you course, actually see the emanations of colors and things like that around individuals also, or was it just the beings that showed up to talk with you? Uh, oh, everyone. You're yeah, that, wow, and that that still to this day. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I, I have this unusual, um, from other people I've, I've met over the years who uh, see energy, I, I have this... Um, and it, it's probably a coping mechanism. I have this ability to see it, but not take much attention. You know, not to pay much attention to it. That, that's how I, I suppose, I deal with it. And also, you know, when I'm meeting people, interacting with people, some know about it and some don't know about it. And it, I, I don't. When I meet somebody, I can see that, but I'm not. Um, I mean, I, I don't use the cliche judging, but you know, I'm not processing what I'm seeing. I'm just seeing it for what it is. And I'm not thinking, oh, it's this, or they've got that, or they're feeling like this, or they're feeling like that. And I, I would feel uncomfortable if people feel that when they meet me, they, you know, that I'm sort of penetrating their, you know, their light and, um, you know, examining them, because I'm not. Um, that would be me, you know, like like any anyone else when they see... A person, of course, we're all taking in lots of imprints um, on just on a, a visual level. Um, some that we're conscious of, and some that we're not conscious of. But you know, my ability is, is just a bit different than anyone else's. Really, I'm seeing you know the sort of the envelope around a person as well. But I'm, I'm I, I don't pay much attention to. It. I don't um, examine it in that sense, and um, and I don't like people to ask me to examine it either being put on the spot. <laughs> so is it just like a personality? I mean, they carry it like a personality. It's like when you meet somebody, you tune into their personality, so the their light's probably similar. Well, yes and no. There can be... Are you okay talking about this? Yes. Time-wise, yeah? Um, it, because it's a really interesting question. Uh, yes and no. Some personalities... The, the light emanation that we um, that everyone is, is radiating, um, you know, Curlian photography is the obvious example of people photographing, you know, the, the coloured glows around people. Um, but what I see is, is a bit more, um, a bit more sort of complex than that. So I see layers upon layers upon layers of a person. It's not just like a pink glow or a violet glow. It's we're all made up of a composite of many different energetic bodies from our emotional well-being to our mental well-being to our spiritual. You know, each layer builds upon each layer. And, and interestingly enough, on the, out, the, far, the further level is what's often referred to as the spiritual bodies. Um, they sometimes can be very different to a person's personality. Uh, and sometimes people can have a very strong spiritual body and a personality body that's that's not really in contact with their sort of higher light, if you like. And sometimes 
things can happen in a person's life which will kickstart that connection, and that could be an illness, um, you know, a tragedy, uh, you know, um, uh, coming off some sort of addiction, for example. Uh, there are some things which can really kickstart that connection, and uh, or you know, somebody starting yoga or meditation or whatever, they can suddenly connect to those to those spiritual bodies. So ideally, you know, in this day and age, it's lovely when people have that connection all the way through those levels, so that they're connected to their spiritual bodies and they and they have an awareness of it on a personality level as well. But it, but it's not always the case. Wow, I'm thinking you you know being that they have the you have the crystals, and I'm thinking if uh, perhaps a person um, uses the mandalas that you have, the cards that you have, uh, along with the crystals, have you ever seen them, uh, for instance, you know, be in the center of a circle and have the mandala there and et cetera? Have you ever seen the auric field change um, to support whatever they may need to have? Yes, yes, I, I have. I mean, I have seen that visually myself, but I've also been able to gather evidence about that as well with uh, often on my uh, workshops or events or teaching courses uh, I sometimes create these spaces and ask somebody to stand there and with no crystals first of all or no none of my oversoul cards and we have um, are you aware of copper dowsers they're, they're a bit like coat hangers which you sort of bend and have often um, water diviners use them, and they're they're just like uh, copper um, bars, and basically water diviners will um, have those copper bars, two of them, and walk towards water, and and the bars open and close depending where the water is. Are you aware of those? Yes, yes. In fact, I have yeah, some. Yeah, okay. I thought it might be in a peculiarly English <laughs> a way of searching for water. But okay, so um, what, I, what I've done sometimes is set up these spaces where somebody's standing there without any crystals and without any of my crystal oversoul cards, and we use one of these copper diviners to measure how far their energy field is, is emanating from them. And the copper is a very good um, conduit for energy and very good reflector of energy. And what happens, I sort of move the bar, I start moving it a few feet away from the person, the bar's sort of being pushed away from my hand uh, by their energy. And when I come to the outer edge of their, of their auric field, the copper bar just becomes balanced, sort of in the center. Am I making sense? Yes. Yeah, okay. So There's probably a lot of dowsers listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, and that's a very good way of, um, like a very good barometer. Um, basically, the copper will stop fluctuating when it comes to the outer edge of the aura and become more in the, the and that could come to, say, six, you know, say, a, a couple of meters out from a person, and that's in a circle around a person. That's their energy field. And then what I've done is then created a mandala of my oversoul cards, for example, or sometimes just one of the cards as well, and the person will hold them, and then we do the exercise again, and we've marked on the floor where the copper rod stopped, where it marked the outer edge of their energy field. And then we've um, moved the copper rod further away, and uh, it's basically reacted to the 
it's moved out further when there's been the presence of more crystals or a crystal oversold card. Now, your your cards are called the crystal oversoul attunements. Yeah. And now, the oversoul, is that what you explained a, a few minutes ago about how the personality connects with the, the uh, spirit, spiritual part of the, the energy? Is that what the oversoul is? Well, an oversoul is... Uh, I had... It was probably easier to explain the, the experience I had when I first met an oversoul. Um, and it's a very good way of communicating what an oversoul is, I, I feel. Uh, I didn't know what an oversoul was before this experience. But when I first started writing the Crystal Oversoul Attunements, which is the book and the, the card set you have, the I was feeling that... Um, you know, especially because of my childhood, that uh, I, uh, around about six, seven years ago, I, I, I had the feeling I wanted to start writing. And, and I thought, okay, I'll start writing about crystals. I've been teaching about them for a long time. And as I started writing, I was, you know, typing away. And I thought, hmm, this, this, this is all quite normal, really, the information that's coming out. I must, you know, with, with all these things I experienced, I, I must be here to do something different and um so yeah i I put up a a a prayer really over a period of a few days just saying you know especially to the 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 light beings around me i said look you know i'm sure you're here for a purpose and you know and you know if you want me to write something you need to give me some sort of inspiration um because what i'm writing so far is quite ordinary crystal information really and and of course, it's one of those cases. Be careful what you ask for. And suddenly, about three or four days into this process, I found myself writing, and suddenly I was very aware that my that my consciousness had changed. And I stopped typing, and I felt my consciousness moving very fast out of my body. And my first thought was, "Oh, I'm I'm crossing over. I'm dying." And and I felt comfortable with that, but at the same time I felt quite sad because I, I thought, oh, I'm not quite ready yet. I didn't, I don't want to be sort of flopped over my computer. I'm, I'm, I'm I didn't imagine it this way. But anyway, it's too late now. I'm, I'm sort of flying through the cosmos, and and I don't know how long that process lasted. But then I found myself out of the the only way I can describe it is, is out on the edge of this universe. And and I've had an experience of being there before, and it's not an experience I can replicate at will. It's it when it happened before, it happened by another sort of accident, really. And so there was on the out sort of outskirts of the universe, and um, and and there's still at this moment I thought, oh, I've I've certainly crossed over, and and then I became aware of this very strong light coming towards me of a, and, and I recognized it to be a mandala and it, it, it was accompanied by these enormous sounds and it became closer and closer to me and and I just felt myself dissolving into this light and and to this day I don't know how long I was there because there was nobody else in my office at the time and nobody else in the house so I could have been there for two minutes I could have been there for two three, four hours, I've no idea. And when I came to, I was aware, obviously, I was 
you know, back in, in my body in, in the room. And but I knew I'd one, I was grateful I was, you know, that I was still incarnate. And at the same time I was very aware that I just had an encounter of some form. And uh and I had no idea what had happened. And over a period of a few weeks what I'd encountered there um, turned out to be, as I process the information, as it sort of filtered down to my conscious mind, um, it turns out I met one of the Oversouls. And the the way I understand it is the Oversouls are, um, say, for example, with a, with a stone like um, Rose Quartz. Um, all the Rose Quartz that's all sort of active in the world, they're in people's collections or in people's stores and jewellery or whatever it is, are all, each of those is connected to like a, another energy of, of rose quartz. And my work is about encouraging people to connect with that energy and to work with the, the source of rose quartz. That's probably the easiest way of describing an oversoul. So it, the, the source, the oversoul, is emanating it, all its energy into all the rose quartzes, for example, or say for another stone would be um, pink tourmaline. So the the energy of that oversoul of pink tourmaline being radiating through all of the, the pink tourmalines, be they in people's collections or in a museum or you know wherever that the crystal is, then when we're working with that stone, we can work with its source energy as well, which just takes everything to a much um, much higher dimension, a much um, more powerful connection to those stones. And each of those oversouls, the 44 of them, hold, um, that's why uh, the word attunements is often used with my work, because each of the oversouls is, is not just a random connecting with those stones and going, oh, that, that feels nice or whatever is actually each of those oversouls, which I explain in my, my books, are a series of keys. And each of those keys are like empowerment tools, if you like, which we, they're there to remind us of our divinity and our vastness. Now you have yeah. a, a <laughs> mandala on each card that goes along with yeah. the uh, stone. Where did you, where did the mandalas come from? Well, the mandalas are, are basically from stones that are in my collection, and it's a quite a, a simple process where I, I photograph a piece of that stone, and then the mandalas are repeated segments, repeated over and over again. And the reasoning for the mandalas was before I even started writing about the mandalas, before I even knew that what I'd experienced when I met the Oversoul would turn into a book and cards. I didn't know that at the time. But what I was trying to do through these images and mandalas was recreate as near as possible what I saw with each of those Oversouls. Because obviously when I met that first one, I then had to meet all the other 44. And... That was the, the the that's the reason behind the mandalas. Each of them is as near as possible a visual representation of their their possibility, if you like, in the, you know in the limits of our you know of our time and space and our ability to work with computers and um, photography. 
So each time you connected with a crystal or stone, did you actually go out as you did the first time? Yes, yeah. The 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 first time was quite a dramatic process, obviously, and um, and it took me quite a while to um, process what it, what I'd experienced. It didn't make sense for quite a while, um, but I knew I'd had a really life changing experience, and and then when it started to dawn on me, and I started to write about it, then it dawned on me that I'd met an oversoul, and. Uh, and then it dawned on me that there were more, and th- these others would want me to go and meet them again. And if I'm honest, first of all, I was really reluctant to do it ever again after the first time because it was it was like being electrocuted. It was it was a very extremely powerful experience, which um, just took me weeks to process energetically. And so, of course. I felt a bit um, bruised from that experience, and I thought, well, I'm not going to meet. <laughs> if I've got to do that 44 times, it's going to kill me. Because, uh, you know, and I said to them, you know, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to somehow do it in a way that I can obviously survive the process, because each time is just uh, daunting and quite, and it takes, you know, I have to, it takes me weeks to process it. And um, so anyway, they did. And so I would then sit down and go, okay, who who, am I, who else am I going to meet? Or uh, which other beings am I going to meet? And, uh, and what happened in the beginning, I'd only meet one at a time and come back and write about them. And then as the process developed, I was obviously, they were obviously adjusting my energy because I was able to then, after a couple of months, meet four for example, and then it changed to six. And so I could, you know, in each process, I started meeting one at a time, and then by the end of it, I was meeting four or five at a time. Uh, and, I, you know, I just take that, that that was part of my process where my my energy bodies and my um, sort of neuro pathways and my uh, my brain and my chakras all being adjusted so that I could I could access their energy without being frazzled as I was the first time. At the moment, I'm um, working on a new set. <laughs> so it's quite <laughs> interesting talking about this again because obviously the process has just started again. And um, But it, it's got better. It's, it's got much easier than it was in the beginning. So is the new set uh, have additional stones, I would imagine? Yes, yeah. Uh, my publishers don't even know about this yet. I started on it a few days ago, um, <laughs> and you're you're the first to hear about it. Actually, um, the when I um, created the and made the first 44, which became the Crystal Oversoul Achievements, um, they're actually what I what I didn't tell anyone, um, apart from my partner, was that actually there were more, um, and there were. In all, there were 66, and but they they asked me to stop at 44 and to write about those 44, uh, which I did, and I was quite grateful that I stopped as well, because obviously the writing process took a couple of years. It wasn't it wasn't done overnight, and then uh, and then I still forgot about the other. I knew I there were another 22, and uh, and all the mandalas are done for them. Uh, the writing is not complete yet. 
Uh, but I felt quite comfortable just, you know, leaving those other 22 for the time being. And I didn't understand why. And, and then I wrote um, and was published this year, Unfolding Our Light, which is the newer book, which is a, a continuation of the work of working with the crystal oversouls, as well as other crystals as well, of working through 10 different attunements, um, which are 10 different um, mandalas that we create for each of the chakra systems from 1 to 10. And... Uh, and it was only with these other 22 cards that I that I never um, that they asked me to stop. Um, and it's only in the last few weeks um, that the the oversouls have sort of come back and have been nudging me to come back to that work and come back to those other 22. And it was only when I started to write the introduction for it, which I finished today. Uh, that it dawned on me why they couldn't, these other 22 couldn't be finished before, is because they're connected to, we had to get through the whole 2012 gateway, and these other 22 are strongly connected to the energies of the new earth, and the energies of the, um, what we're entering into now, the next cycle of evolution we've entered into. So the 22 couldn't be written about before because they're, they're not connected to the previous cycle. They're connected to the next cycle that we've just stepped into. So all this information I'm telling you is absolutely um, new. Um, nobody knows this yet. <laughs> so when someone takes your class, mm-hmm. do, you, do they meet the oversouls that they're supposed to be meeting at that time? Does that open inadvertently? Yeah, <laughs> we um, <laughs> sometimes I, I set up classes where I'm I'm very conscious of um, that we're meeting a particular soul in on purpose for a particular reason, and in the book of uh, the Crystal Oversouls Achievements, there's for each of the uh, mandalas there's there's a meditation which you yourself can take yourself through the guided meditation to. Um, to have your own encounter with them. And that's why I wrote the book, because I thought, well, obviously not everyone can be with me, and um, it's more creative people doing these things themselves. So each of those meditations were given to me by the Oversouls as a way of encouraging people to have their direct experience themselves without, without me. And, but in the classes that I, uh, that I lead groups, uh, to, you know, t- directly to the Oversoul's arms, if you like. And, uh, but yes, sometimes uh, that can happen, that they the Oversoul's will come in um, accidentally, I mean, for, you know, for a particular reason, unknown to me at the time, but, but most of the time I do it on purpose. I'm, I'm very aware that if we're working on a particular subject in the group, that there's a particular Oversoul which overlights that subject, therefore... We can invoke it on purpose. So there, the meditations that are in the book, did you receive the meditations each time you met the oversoul of the stone? <laughs> yes, I did, yeah. <laughs> so it was quite a long process, yeah. And they, they you know, as, as my light beings always have communicated to me telepathically, 
that's what the oversouls were doing as well. They would just feed me these stories and um, would sort of just feed them into my mind. And these these meditations would just unfold in my mind and I'd write them down. And, uh, yeah, sometimes I'd sit there and I'd, after I, I'd look afterwards and I'd think, wow, that was that's amazing. That's, um, yeah, I, I didn't know, you know, I, a lot of it I just didn't know, I didn't filter it, I would just write. And they would show me these um, these sort of stories that unfold in my mind, and um, yeah, and I would just I wouldn't say they're automatic writing by any means. They're more inspired writing. That's probably how I would how I would call it. But yeah, so they're, they're from them. When somebody's working with your cards, um, they don't necessarily need the stones, but if they wanted the stones, they would they could order them from you. Yes, lots of people do. That's um, you, you don't. I, I, I'm not into um, sort of spiritual materialism with um, with stones. Um, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I did the cards as well because some of the the mandalas are for very expensive stones as well. Some ones that are extinct or very rare. And so some of the cards you can use, and some of those stones would be way beyond a lot of people's budgets. Uh, but if people want to use, I, I, you know, I have contact with people every day who've got the cards, and some people have the stones to match each and every card, and uh, and some people, you know, don't have the funds to do that. So it's you know you can you can work without the stones as well. But I do get people, real fans of the cards, who who need to have the stones for each card as well. Well, the cards have a mandala on the front of them and like you said that's the energy of the stone is that correct yes yeah yeah and you yeah. could also say for example if you have the stone uh, rose quartz if you put your rose quartz in the center of the mantle of the rose quartz oversoul card it will obviously energize that stone as well it's like sort of coming home to mummy to the uh, to the rose quartz and you also make essences from the stones so can yeah, the essences yeah. be used uh, in place of the stones? Yes, they can, indeed. The essences are more... They're not essences to be taken internally. Uh, they're essences that are made of uh, liquid essences, which you put on your hand and then you weave the essence through your aura or if you're working with a client or uh, another person or a pet, for example, you can weave the essence uh, through, they're, they're meant to be used in, in the, the aura. And what happens, the essence is taking the uh, the oversoul energy just to another level again. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're extremely powerful. They're not all complete yet. I think we've up to about 22 that are made so far. So we're halfway there. And what I wait for with the essence is the oversouls just step forward and just sort of present me they're normally six at a time, which I say these are the number six to be made. So that's how I work with them. So at the moment, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 22 that are made so far. So not all 44 have been made yet. And um, they, yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for them, the next six to come through to tell me which, which six are going to be made. So I, I don't make them just for the sake of it. They're, they're made 
when the oversouls connect with me and just say, okay, now make an essence for uh, rose quartz, for example. Now, do you so work I'm with the... Do you work with the divas or the devas, whichever way you want to pronounce it, of the stone? Yes. The um, now that's another dimension as well, because the the the, the divas are. I've always worked before I worked with oversouls. I, I worked very strongly with divas, and I have a very strong relationship with the divas of the stone. So when I'm buying uh, crystals for my company Aristia, the it's the diva which I'm drawn to when I'm, you know, when I'm choosing stones. So I will look look at a stone, a crystal, and that could be small, or medium, or large. And what I'm interested in is unusual divas, because not every crystal has, you know, a, a particularly interesting diva. Some are quite um, simple, really. And what I'm always interested in is is divas that are that have a certain personality that desire to work with people who are going to do something with them really and normally that's to do with some sort of planetary healing or um sort of ascension healing of some form so yeah these divas that i tend to um have sort of come my way through through crystals are um, yeah normally quite unusual. So I know yeah, I work I've, with I've divas. divas. I, w- I work with divas with plant life. So as mm. you're talking, I'm thinking, well, maybe I could get in touch with the uh, overlining soul of a particular plant, like you have done with the stones. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like nettle. There, there's going to be um, every, every form, so every um, I, I, I see it as a bit like a pyramidal form where you have this the physical manifestation of, say, nettle, for example, and or marjoram, for example, and then you have the the deveric form, which is overlighting um, that area, for example, and then you have uh, a larger diva, which is going to be overlighting. So it's like layers upon, a bit like those Russian dolls. So you've got layers upon layers and layers of, of divaic energy and quality. And the final layer is really its oversoul. And that, that's not just for crystal. Everything, everything has an oversoul. It's a collective consciousness. And that could Very be the same that's for animals as well. Well, I've wait, I've, I have awakened in the morning, and my plants are wrapped around me. <laughs> I see them before I open my eyes, and they're like healing me. It's just amazing. I I remember one time I, I looked and I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, that's my plant on my patio. <laughs> and it was just kind of funny, you know, and here... I guess they, I figured that they liked me the way I took care of them. <laughs> you know? I, I think they like you a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's also one of the reasons why I were, it was really important to me to be published by Fintorm Press. Um, you guys are aware of Fintorm in, in Scotland? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So obviously that's yes. the, you know, they've been out there for a long time doing work around divas and working with community 
and uh, Deveric Energy. So I, I worked a lot with tortured. Michelle Small. Michelle Small Wright. I don't know if you've ever heard. Oh of her. right, yeah. The yes. Paralandra. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Sindhorn was really important for me to be published by them because of their connection to community and, and divas as well. It just felt that I felt and feel really at home with them as publishers because of that. So the, you know, I wanted a publishers that would really understand my work and support my work and understand my work, you know, with um, being uh, connected to, to divas and um, super divas like Oversouls. So the Oversoul is a, is a um, super diva. <laughs> <laughs> it's a super diva. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're like, um, yes. Yeah, that's. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're quite hard to uh, comprehend in, in terms of their. You know, they are so vast. They are. Uh, you know, when I met them, they're they're ancient beings. They are. Um, when I first met them, one of the overriding sensations I had was just how incredibly ancient they are. That the, these beings have been with us as humans since the beginning of time they came with us into this into this earth and they came, they're beings in their own right they're 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 very connected to human um evolution but they have their own evolution as well they're they you know they're they're, they're quite you know they're quite mind-blowing to comprehend really that their their vastness and their um that they're I always feel that one of the reasons that they've come through so strongly in my work at this particular time is because the temples that when we have these journeys where we where we work with the cards, where we work with the the imagery uh, that I build up in my books about them, we actually we go into the the temples, and each of them is a temple. It's not. Uh, just as Mandela, it's actually an astral inner plane temple, and that these temples are incredibly ancient. And we were—they used to be physical temples uh, in Atlantis and Lemuria. They're, they're very, very ancient temples. And each time any of us goes into them or does some visualization around them, we're bringing those connections to those temples nearer to our physical world again. Uh, they had to retreat those temples so they've been alive on the inner planes and but of course they're only alive through our imagination as well they need us to uh to work with them and to explore them and, and really primarily that's my what my work is about to en- encourage people to be creative and take their own journeys into them and um you know expand the consciousness so we can build our own temples Yes, but they're they're real temples in the same time. So each of us, say for example with the pink tourmaline temple, in my book I describe what the temples look like and encourage the reader to go into the temples just, you know, in, in meditation. And so they are our own temples, but they are temples in their own right as well. They're, they're real, they're, they're very real places. 
very interesting. I can see these little devious jumping up and down. <laughs> well, in Scotland and Ireland, I mean, I think to this day they still believe in the little people and the elves, and which are a form of a diva. Am I yeah, correct? Yeah, I mean, England. Yeah, England has a very, very strong tradition of um, little people and helpful people, and also not so helpful um, spirits. And yeah, it's very alive. It, it you know obviously depends on the more the more rural areas. Um, those those stories are still very much alive. They're pretty much lost in most of the inner cities or people that have moved into cities um, who you know are just working nine to five. Most people don't care about such stories. But in more rural, isolated areas, those the stories are very much alive. You know, in England, we have such a strong um, history of sacred places and sacred sites and um, areas. Which have... yeah. Yeah. Now, Michael, you talk about chakra system. There's only one other person that I know that talks about our chakra systems um, increasing. Instead of seven, we have, um, I think you talk about having... Is it twelve? Uh, ten. Uh, ten. Okay. Ten. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that you want to talk a little bit about that because not many people talk about that, and I think that's really important. Well, I, I, that's why I wrote the book "Unfolding Our Light," my new book, and the what I propose for that book is that the up until 2012, the seven chakra system and seven layers of the aura were sufficient and they reflected our, our human evolution. But what's been happening over the last, uh, probably since the harmonic convergence, is there's been such an illumination of our, of our requirement, if you like. There's just a lot more being asked of us as custodians of the earth that... In order to do that, we need to expand, and we, you know, we need to be able to process more energy, more light. And part of that process is that the what I propose is that the old seven chakra system stopped at the crown above the head. And what I'm proposing is is an illumination of the eighth and ninth chakras, about six inches above each other, above the head. And what I propose in, in my book, Unfolding Our Light, is um, taking that journey of expansion for the 8th and ninth, And then when we awaken the ninth and become conscious of it, that energy then, like waterfalls, cascades down from the ninth down into the earth. And it's the earth that then gives birth to the 10th chakra. And that 10th chakra is, is about 12 inches beneath our feet. And that is the chakra which is connected to the new earth. It's connected to the the the, the shift that we've we've all collectively given birth to, which is the the new earth of, of it's like the new template of our collective evolution. And in order to walk on that earth, we need an expanded um, consciousness. We need to have an expanded template. Um, in order to uh, understand it. And I feel that that's our, our next um, process, if you like, collectively and individually. 
And so that's really what I'm proposing in Unfolding Our Light, is, is encouraging people to explore that idea and possibility and to um, activate it. Well, it's as though our two guests kind of um, interweave together, hot Kaz, because we're all we're talking about light and um, expanding consciousness, and so it, it, we're in some exciting times. We are indeed. We're in um, extremely, on one hand, extremely challenging times, and on the same time in the same moment, extraordinary things are being birthed. And I think it's one of these things that depends where we put our attention. Do we? It depends what we focus on. But I think if we focus on the immense possibilities that have been given birth to... I, I've, I've got this real thing at the moment where I'm noticing how... I'm, I'm sort of part of that generation that really woke up through the harmonic convergence in 1989 and you know for a lot of people who are still incarnate you know the the last 20 odd years has you know it's been really tough for a lot of people in in the spiritual um scene because you know a lot have been asked of a lot of people we've given a lot and and I, I really thought it's a time to really sort of stop and see how much has been achieved uh, rather than saying, oh, you know, things will get better in the future and blah, blah, blah. Actually, to see it's happened, we have actually, um, we've turned this point of, of evolution of 2012 successfully. We're still here, and the Earth is, a, you know, is, is still um, a challenging place to be, and yet we're here in vast quantities of, of light beings. There's never been so many here at the same time. And I think a lot of it is happening through uh, electronic and social media. I think there's, you know, a lot of these beings are finding just new ways of exploring through technology, um, ways of making humanity in the world a better place. Some of those things, you know, are, uh, like everything, not going to be so good, but there are some amazing things happening and uh, amazing ways of connecting people and I, I just think we're just in the most incredible times and we have the most incredible opportunities at this time to be these vast beings that we are, incarnate, and, you know, shining our light as, as brightly as we can. And we're in a time that we're not persecuted for that anymore. You know, where where there's so many of us that, um, you know, no, nobody can be persecuted for that. Well, back to the card that I picked for today's today and today's interview was uh, green tourmaline. Oh, I love green tourmaline. I did after you said the number. I, I quickly looked <laughs> myself because I oh. couldn't remember. <laughs> uh, green tourmaline is a beautiful. Um, what, what do you what do you think about the card? The image. Um, the image to me is uh, grounding, because if I look at sapphire. I was looking at Sapphire as we were talking, it's like, takes me out there. But this one is mm. more grounding. Mm. So, uh, green, green tourmaline is, is all about um, the soul dream. And what it's, 
what it's reminding of, what it reminds us, is that our soul has a dream for us. And when we work with that card, we remember that dream, and we remember um, that we're a dreamer, and we're a dreamer being dreamed by the dream, and that we're, we're here to live our dream. And Green Tourmaline encourages that, and encourages us to believe in that dream, and somehow to make our life reflective of that dream. And and that could be, you know, connected to a career or lifestyle or whatever, but it's often more than that as well. It's really feeling that our um that our soul is really carries a, a, a particular dream. And I mean I, I for example with, with my work I I know that all of my my work with crystals, with oversouls, with all the stuff I'm I'm doing is all supported by my soul dream. I'm not going, what I'm doing is not going against my dream. It's reflecting the dream in, in the world. And and that's why, it's, that's why that dream is so supported in the world. I have a really an amazing support for my work. And it's because that, that is what my soul is dreaming. Does that make sense? Yes. It's, if, yeah. you're, if, you're, if you're walking, I mean, if you're doing what your soul dream is dreaming, then things come easier. Things yeah, yeah, and they're more supported. Yeah, and you're not pushing against, you know, a, an inner force that's going. Well, that's not quite I want what I wanted you to do. <laughs> and, you know, if you say, well, you know, I want to, you know, I want to, you know, I want to do this, and your soul is going, well, um, you know, I, I had more of an idea of you doing it, you know, like this. You know, it's a bit like a teenager if we. You know where you know our parents want us to do something, and we're going. Nope, I'm going to do the complete opposite. That's fine, um, but but what that green tourmaline card is saying is, you know, if you're more aligned with your soul dream, things will flow easier for you, and um, to believe in that dream as well. And and sometimes people's dreams are alive, and they struggle trying to live them in the in the on the physical world. And sometimes people have lost sight of their dream as well. It's been smothered by, you know, they've become a dentist or, you know, they've grown up doing things, you know, a career that they were forced into or thought, you know, they should do or whatever. But the, So the, this image, the green tourmaline, is very much about discovering what it is our, our soul dreams for us. And that, of course, is a very personal journey. Only we can take and only we can understand that. But anyway, that, that's what the green tourmaline oversoul is about, is helping us to discover our soul's journey and our soul's dream for us and to dream the dream. Mm. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I love that. I'm a, I've always been a real dreamer, so um, so I'm really grateful to to my soul that I've incarnated in a time when I can be a dreamer and um, and be supported through being a dreamer as well rather than... Um, you know, I've, you know, I remember being a, when I was a child, and um, uh, some relatives said to to my mother, "Oh, everyone was talking. The children were talking about what they wanted to do when they grew up." And um, and I, I was always like, "Oh, I don't know. I I, I don't know at all." And, uh, and my mother, I remember vividly. I missed about five or six. Uh, I mean, how a five or six year old is meant to know what they want to do when they grow up, I don't know. But anyway. 
Um, and she turned around and said, oh, he's going to be a poet. And, uh, and I looked at her and I thought, oh. And then years later I said to her, why did you say that? And she said, oh, I just always knew that somehow you were different and you...